Welcome to Unicorny, the antidote to post-rationalized business books. I'm your host, Dom Horse. This is a podcast about the business of marketing, how to create value, who's doing it well, and how you can help your business win the future. Today, I speak to Georgina Gilmore, who you may remember from March 2023, when we spoke to her and B2B Marketing's Joel Harrison about marketing being excluded from the big issues. Well, today we're going to take a positive spin on life and we're going to continue with the infectious energy that Emma Kriskanans brought to the project last week. Oh, if you didn't listen to it, you need to go back and listen. It was a blast. Now, if you didn't listen to Georgie's last episode, well, first off, you kind of should. But in case you can't, or even if you won't, let me introduce her. Georgie is an award-winning and highly accomplished B2B marketer with over 30 years experience and she's worked for some of the world's leading brands and I don't mean leading as in one of those crappy throwaway PR lines I really mean leading Apple, Kodak, Cisco, Vodafone, Kaspersky, Centrica Business Solutions and more She has been at the heart of creating and launching brands and technologies that we all now consider part of our daily life Things like computers Laptops, digital cameras, Wi-Fi, security, mobile data, and email. And she has built and led high-performing teams all the way across the world. Her career kind of is second to none. These days, she runs her own marketing consultancy called the B2B Marketing Expert, and she works with B2B technology organizations to grow their businesses. And she also provides coaching and career development for future B2B marketers. She is also an avid supporter of the B2B marketing community and has recently joined Propolis as their channel and strategy expert. Let's go meet Georgie. This episode is brought to you by Selby Anderson, the marketing group that helps businesses in complex markets win the future. Hey Georgie, how are you? I'm very good, Dom. How are you doing? I'm really well. And I'm delighted to welcome you back to the Unicorn Studio. Thank you. It's good to be back. We've got something really, really interesting to talk about today. I think it's going to draw on a lot of the stuff we've been talking about on the Unicorn Project over the last kind of maybe six to 12 months. Today, we're going to try and put a positive spin on our discussion, I think, and look at what great marketing is or should be. Before we do that, though, Georgie, what have you been up to since we last saw you? <gasps> Really exciting stuff, actually. Um, so the big thing for me is, uh, and, and I know this is the same for you guys, is a lot more work uh, with the Propolis community of B2B marketing, which I really love supporting because I get to meet so many interesting different people with different B2B challenges and problems and they get to rant at me and I get to listen, uh, which is good, and then get to give them some ideas about how to approach things differently. Been doing lots of that stuff and and also work with uh, some of my other clients who all seem to have a lot of the similar issues, funnily enough, uh, Dom, and issues that you've been bringing up on a lot of the great podcasts. What's really interesting, Georgie, I think, is that when you get access to a community like that and you get, if you like, you get CMO at scale, you do get to take the temperature of what's going on and you start to realise that the issues that they think maybe are their own personal issues are kind of endemic and this isn't a problem. I mean, I think it was, I think it was Shane pointed this out in the first episode this year, Shane Redding. This isn't an issue with marketing. This isn't an issue with the rest of the business and how it relates to marketing. That was a change moment for me. But access to those kind of communities so you, you can see what's going on and you can find out what's going on in the real world I think is really invigorating. It really is because you feel that you're not alone. Yeah. 
and that you know you're, it's not that you're doing something particularly wrong and everyone else has got it right yeah. so I think it's it's almost like a big confessional you know where people yes. can go it's really tough but and supportive what, as well really supportive and I think I've noticed um, having worked uh, with those folks over the past couple of years it's becoming an, an ever-growing sort of community and different sort of vendors and different uh, industries yep. so it's not just issues that are perhaps in the tech industry it's the same issues yeah. across the board yeah. and I think like I said, a bit of a confessional that people can come and say, what do I do? You know, like, yeah. where do I go? And um, it's, it is supportive, which, which I love being part of. A, I think that's really cathartic, but it's also very helpful to marketers who find themselves in a difficult situation. And one of the things I'm loving now, as this podcast matures, is getting some feedback from people in roles saying, hey, look, wow, I thought it was just me. Firstly, they're saying, I thought it was just me. It's great to hear that I'm not alone. Two, it's great to hear what some potential solutions might be, some possible solutions. But three, one of the things I'm really loving about Unicorny at the moment is that there are three separate businesses that have now got in touch with us to tell us that they've either changed the language they're using in their organisations based on what they heard on this podcast, or they're changing how they do things based on what they've heard on this that's podcast. That's amazing. And that's awesome, isn't it? So yeah, I would well exchange done. action for enormous listenerships. Obviously, we've got a massive, <laughs> massive listenership. I heard last week that Rishi Sunak listens to us every Tuesday before he gets to work really no but can you imagine if you did <laughs> that'd be great it'd be wouldn't great, it, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> anyway so we're here to talk about some of these things today and try and bring some shape to it and we're going to do it with a positive spin i hope we may need to dip below the yep. kind of the neutral positivity line at, at times to identify some issues but let's try and keep it net positive shall we yeah call it? i'm quite a positive person um even though i do love a rant that must be yeah. part of the Irish in me. But ultimately, I uh, like to rant, but then I want to look at the positive and how can we make things better. So Good. I want to make things better. Well, I, believe it or not, I don't like to rant either. I just seem to spend <laughs> most of my time. I don't want to be an angry old man, you know. Who, who wants to be one of those? Let, look, let's start today with a very positive thought. I mean, you and I talk a lot about this sort of stuff anyway. These days, what does a great marketer look like? I think these days, actually no different from years gone by. Okay. So a great marketer for me, it's it's... Three things. One which is they need to be commercial. By the way, don't read that as a just is focusing on MQLs, right? <laughs> they need to realise that they are working within an organisation that is there to do a job. And the job generally is to make business and profit for, for the company, right? So be commercial. Understand the business first and foremost and what your role is in making that happen. Secondly... That shouldn't be at the cost of being creative, okay? And if you're a marketeer in-house, for example, don't just think the creativity resides within the agencies. Of course, agencies like, um, like yourselves are also there to help provide that thought. But actually, the marketeer internally, if they're not creative, they become a bit lazy, yep. on that side of things. And I think they need to be pushing everyone to be creative as well. And then the other thing I think is really important um, is collaborative. And you'll notice here I've got three C's. So it's, uh, it's almost like my, my four P's of marketing is now the three C's. I like great marketers to be collaborative. Yep. What that means is, is that they don't care that they have got marketing in their title. They work for a company, a business, and actually they're in it with everyone else to make it a success. And so I think having that mindset of a winning collaborative positive mindset 
where you actually want to work with other functions and you want to bring other functions in to make your stuff great, that's so important. I think that's a, that's been lost a bit, unfortunately. Here's a bit of my negative rank coming in yep. here, but we need to bring that back. Those three Cs chime very well with uh, something we changed actually in the strap line of this very podcast because we now talk about the fact that we are for marketers and entrepreneurs. Um, whether people have marketing in their job title or not, who cares, right? Uh, but marketers are the entrepreneurs in their organisations, we think. They've got to be really commercial. You've got to understand numbers, understand what moves the dial, understand what it is that's going to make you successful, and then direct all your attention to do that. You've got to be creative because you can't just do the same stuff if you're an entrepreneur. You're, by definition, doing stuff that's new, and you have to be collaborative because as an entrepreneur, it's not your solo effort that's going to make you win. You do, and I think marketers need to get back out there, mm. into the market. Yeah, get a um, bit of mojo. And to understand what's going on. And the customer insight isn't the domain of one department. It's the responsibility of everyone. Understanding what your competitors are doing is the responsibility of everyone. And marketers, more than anyone, should be doing this. So if there's exhibitions and trade shows going on, just because you're not there... Go there and listen and find out and figure out what's going on, how people positioning stuff. We've become a bit reliant upon too much data to be packaged up for us and then to try and make some sense out of it rather than actually going instinctively. Being cute, maybe I can add a fourth C oh, yeah, there. A curious. Yeah, yeah. I describe myself as curious. Actually, a lot of people say I'm just nosy because I love to find out about people. But I think marketeers need to be like that to really delve into unearth why do people think the way they think? Why do they want something? One of the big things I was talking to a client about um, yesterday was, are you looking at things like win-loss reports? Because, God, they're fascinating. When you figure out why have you won a customer... What were the conditions when you won that deal? What was going on? Yep. What triggered it? What was the environment like? And then actually, how do you replicate that and try and make that happen again and again and again? And it's a very different way of looking at winning new business. I totally agree with you there. And we, we spoke to Scott Stockwell, actually, a few episodes ago about root cause analysis and particularly the five whys. And like, why is the most important, should be the most important word to every marketer? to me because we have to understand how things work that is our job literally understanding how our publics work how their brains work so that we can find that mental availability in them. yeah I was berated uh, uh, many years ago I think I was working at Cisco and I was asking one of the uh, product directors for IP telephony or something new that was coming into the market and I was literally giving him a grilling about the technology and what it was and and he was going on and on about how this works and, and, and actually was a bit bothered about why I was asking so many questions. And I've said, well, I'm trying to understand why a customer would want this, right? And unless you can explain it to me, how am I ever going to be able to think about how to position that to a customer? So I think at that point, it was when a lot of companies were starting to shift from yeah. product marketing into actually customer needs yeah and and actually I, I think companies like cisco were probably some of the earliest companies to start to look at sort of solution-based selling etc which has started to become uh, more of the norm now but 
that's only because I was really annoying and, you know, yeah. nosy. Because you ask the right questions. Probably not the right questions, Dom. It, there's, no, there's no such thing <laughs> as the wrong question in my book. Actually, the more information you get, the better. I'll ju- literally, I think curiosity is a prerequisite. That's like if you don't have curiosity, don't become a marketer because you're not going to be able to do anything of value. I, I genuinely believe that. And I know these days there's a lot of kind of algorithmic marketers out there who think that there's a formula for everything. And and I think we might come on to that a little bit later. But actually, there isn't. There is no formula for the the wider world. And understanding psychology and understanding the pressures and the issues and the the environment in which our customers are trying to operate, Mm. there's nothing more important than that from a marketer's point of view. There is a few few weeks ago, I was um, talking to to another client about profiles of customers and, you know, they just didn't understand the value of creating buyer personas. And yes, (laughs) they're a bit of a marketing buzzword. I get that. But I said... You have to get into the mind of who your customer is, right? And until you start to create a picture of who this customer is, and when I say picture, I mean really understand them um, and what their life is like, not what their KPIs are and all that kind of dry stuff, but what is motivating them, what is driving them. And that's where there's this blurring between B2C and B2B. So I, you know, you know, Dom, I've worked for brands that do both and actually... It's not massively different, honestly. No, I think what's what's going to be interesting, I think, though, is like, there's a big move in B2B at the moment when everyone's talking about emotion and how you need to market to emotion. And then they use that. I mean, there's that terrible trope, which I absolutely hate. It's a much bigger emotional decision to buy an ERP system than it is to buy, insert, a tube of toothpaste, toilet roll, whatever. It's such a fallacious argument. I'm going to do something on decision science very soon because I'm really interested in how that need for personal expression, how the personal motivators translate into B2B. I think what we're going to find is that while all that personality stuff exists, as we've just said, and like music tastes and all that other like personal profiling that you want to do, they bring all of that stuff to work, but that's layered with something else, Mm. which may be ambition or it may be desire not to look stupid or it may be risk aversion. There are going to be a whole load of other drivers that do exist in the workplace that don't exist out of it. So I think that when we start to look at decision science in B2B, it's a much more complex picture probably than it is in B2C. I think that's where the other dynamics, like you said, you know, what type of industry is it? You know, is it highly regulated? Are they terrified of making a decision? Because if they do, it's horrendous. Or who else within the buying group is also organising stuff? What characteristics are they displaying? So it's not just looking at one person. it's, It's really looking at the kind of the world that they're operating in as well and what they're up against. And I think holistically looking at that is far better than looking at, you know, one individual and saying, well, they're the CIO or they're the head of IT security and here are the attributes. And therefore, yeah. um, But I think we are making a difference. But uh, yeah, you're right. It's not suddenly that emotion is something new to be to be because everyone clearly is is a human kind of being but um most people most yeah most people I've met a couple of robots <laughs> in my time I'm sure you have can we add a fifth a fifth C please, please? can we add capable <gasps> well I'm assuming they are well, Dom. And by that yeah. I don't I don't just mean I not being an idiot mm-hmm. I don't I don't mean that because like if they're an idiot they get found out yeah what I mean by capable not always maybe, maybe it's the wrong seat <laughs> <laughs> That's naughty. Maybe I'm just trying to squeeze it into a C. What I mean is, and we've discussed this again on a few of our recent pods, is we need some kind of basic capability framework. We need the equivalent of GAP that Mm -hmm. the accountants have. GAMP, if you like, generally accepted marketing principles. We all know that everybody understands 
about things like decision science and behavioral science and psychology and pricing strategies and like a basic level of knowledge. Because mm-hmm. uh, I think one of the challenges that we have, particularly in digital, I think we're going to explore now where we think things might have gone a bit wonky over the last few years, is with this over-focus on very short-term goals and digital, there is a belief that you don't need to know the other stuff. And therefore, mm-hmm. they are in my book, they are not capable of being a senior marketer because their knowledge is too narrow. And I know on a previous podcast, you, you mentioned uh, Shane, uh, my very good friend, and also my very good friend, uh, Chris Wilson. Yeah. And, and it drives Chris Wilson mad in particular, this, yes. the change in capability, as you said, of, of a lot of marketeers. And I think we're all responsible for that as well. I'm starting to see a shift in that. And there is a desire for that to get better. Being a marketer right now is tough, and I hardly need to tell you that. But isn't it exhilarating too? If you're the kind of person that likes a challenge, and I suspect you are, then although it's tough, I bet you're secretly loving it. I don't remember there being a more exciting time in this business, with so much changing all at once. Technology, data, new working models, AI, and of course our understanding of effectiveness – So much is up in the air that it's genuinely hard for every day not to be challenging. And that's what makes it so interesting. It's that challenge, that unknown, that feeling of constant change that most marketers run towards. But, you know, there's no such thing as change without consequence. And one of the consequences of dealing with relentless change is that other people from within our organizations might think we just chase shiny things. Well, we might a little, I suppose, but that's because we're curious and creative. But being at the vanguard of newness isn't about changing our minds or chasing novelty for the sake of it. It's about understanding, appreciating and assessing the impact novelty might have on the psychology, needs, desires and fears of our customers. From our conversation so far, it's clear that being a great marketer goes well beyond possessing individual skills or areas of knowledge. The magic happens at the intersections, where creativity meets data, where strategy is informed by deep customer insights, and where collaboration amplifies the impact of individual contributions. Successful marketing is inherently multidimensional. It needs a balance between analytical and creative thinking, a deep integration with the broader business objectives, and of course, an ongoing commitment to learning and adaptation. That's why it's so important to be curious. But long-term has been out of vogue for a while. The mathematicians have ruled the roost and successfully convinced us that only measurable things matter. John Durr's excellent book, Measure What Matters, maybe that's to blame, but measuring what matters is very different from saying if you can't measure it, it doesn't matter. So let's get back to the studio and speak to Georgie again. Hey, Georgie, thinking back, why do you think we've over-indexed on the short term? If I think back to what has changed in the world, ironically, working in tech myself for many, many years, I actually blame tech for a lot of this. And I blame a lot of the tech vendors for over-promising the holy grail to marketers, to other business function leaders, promising that systems 
are just going to take away the need for any original thought or for any capability to do stuff. So the system is going to do everything. <laughs> of course, the system is just an engine, okay? And you need to apply some thoughts about why you've got that engine, where you're going, your strategy, etc. Your system isn't going to figure that stuff out. And alongside the systems, what has happened is, um, unfortunately, huge consultancies have also come in with their models and their frameworks. And they've um, come in and they've designed things like big cone-shaped funnels and waterfalls. Um, The world isn't like that. And what I observe has happened is marketing has gone from being a pretty rock-solid, well-thought-of performing function who is able to make decisions make changes grow the business into overly obsessing analytics and data reverse engineering models up the funnel spending their life trying to make things work rather than thinking actually this model is constraining us and this model doesn't work for my business I believe that some consultancies have done such a great job of telling everyone this is the way it is and, by the way, everyone else has adopted this, that if you dared push back against it and said that actually doesn't work like that, certainly not for our industry, all of these conversion numbers that you're talking about, if life were that simple, everything would be perfect. And... It's allowed the CMO to think, oh, suddenly I'm going to have all these great metrics that I can prove to the CEO about how great marketing is. Unfortunately, it's gone the other way. Yeah. Any standardised statistics, any benchmarks that don't take account of individual difference. It's it's irony, isn't it, really? We help our colleagues differentiate, yet we think when it applies to metrics that one size fits all. Absolutely. How barking mad is that? Yeah. Part of the output of that is that everyone sells into fear all the time. They assume that fear of failure is one of the biggest, you know, drivers of of our buyers. Otherwise, actually, I've I've been looking at a bit of tech myself this week, and it's noticeable that when you get onto the homepage, the first thing they tell you is they're in Gartner's magic quadrant. I don't care. I don't give a toss. Yeah. What I want to know is, does it do what I need to do for me? If Gartner thinks it's in a magic quadrant, that's fantastic. I don't even know who the competition is. But by calling Gartner to my attention, they've now brought all their competition to my attention. Up till then, they have my sole attention. The market is different everywhere, like you said. There's no such thing as a benchmark. I can't tell you how many companies I've walked into where they've said, well, we haven't got conversion levels. Oh, let's just use that beep industry analyst benchmark numbers. And it's like, you're setting yourself up for failure. People are terrified. Like you said, you know, I'm going to add another C to the list. Oh, go on then. I've got my pen to be out. courageous. Ooh. I want marketing people to get back to being yeah. courageous. Yeah, take a risk. Take a risk. You're going to get fired anyway. Well, absolutely. So go well out, go out with a bang, right? <laughs> <laughs> and be courageous. Take those risks. Do something innovative. Yeah. Honestly, so much of the marketing that I see is so boring and it's so dulled down it drives me insane if i can't be bothered to review a piece of content why is a prospective customer even going to think about reading it i'm just doing a review of briefs that Mm. are coming out of uh, businesses into a number of different agencies i've I've managed to get them anonymized and this is one of my little my, my little hobby horses at the moment is that some marketers not all of them but some marketers have forgotten that marketing objectives are intermediate objectives, they're not a means to themselves. That when you're briefing somebody to support you in achieving an an objective, 
with a strategy, you also need to communicate the business objectives to them too. In the military, we used to call that commander's intent. You've got to yep. know why you're doing something so you can actually have the courage, the curiosity and the creativity to actually deliver on it. And I think we're forgetting that. We are. And, and again, I think this is because this sort of silo mentality that's created yeah. between departments, we've lost the fact that we work for a company. If I think back to many years ago, you talked about military at Cisco when I was there, there was this whole strategy about must win battles, NWBs, Ooh, right? Yeah. And it was around the new technologies and platforms that were being launched. And basically every single person within the business, their objectives were aligned against the must win battles. And those were cascaded from the top. Okay, so the must wow. win battle on security, the must win battle on wireless, down to... If you wanted to raise POs in the system, there was coding against must-win really? battles. You could not do stuff if it wasn't aligned to that business critical goal that you were all aiming towards. And the beautiful thing that you had then was everyone was marching in the same direction to do stuff and understood, I'm working on this with you. You're working on security, so am I. Right, let's all head in the right direction. And it was far more collaborative. We felt that we were kind of in it together. Again, to sort of use that whole kind of military thing, we were moving in the same direction rather than I'm off doing my marketing stuff, you're off doing your sales stuff, and I have no idea, and maybe there might be a bit of a handover somewhere. People were just, you know, working on stuff together and understood that where they should be focusing. And... I would like to see that happening more and more. And in fact, I'm again, I'm, I'm working with another company at the moment on trying to pull the marketing team together who are quite dispersed. And what I've said is we need to be looking at the overall business strategy and actually what are the CEO's KPIs, what's the CMO's KPIs. I want to get those cascaded down and then I want to do some joint planning of objectives across everyone. It's kind of that simple and then when other functions can understand what your objectives are okay i understand your objectives you're working with me on stuff it's a different mindset yeah. okay must win battle we just named the podcast um <laughs> i say this a lot but i'm going to say again i absolutely love that concept i love it so much i'm going to steal it and i'm going to identify what our must win battles are in my day job <laughs> and um and then we're going to go from there um and if you're a pacifist you might just want to mute us for about 20 seconds <laughs> um of course the military has given us a lot of language we use in, in business from company and campaign and battle and fighting for market share all that kind of stuff so um you can listen again um, pacifist so so our job as marketers is actually kind of overtly offensive normally obviously there's a defensive mode sometimes we talked about that with jeffrey moore the must-win battle, I think, getting that clarity of focus is a really interesting way of breaking down silos. It really is. And I think it creates an environment where people feel quite excited and positive yeah, about yeah. doing something because it feels like you're given license to think, again, creatively yeah. and differently about yeah. approaching something because it is a battle and you've got to be smart about how you're going to do this. And you can't hang around navel-gazing, looking at numbers too much because yeah. otherwise something bad might happen, okay? Yes. So how are you going to move quickly, smart, you know, work smartly together and really feel like a win it's it's corny but a winning team yeah. people love winning yeah. and feeling like they've achieved something together and even if all the results aren't there at least they've had a go and done something and learned from stuff there are always small wins even if you don't get that big hairy goal you've always yeah. made small wins absolutely
there's an opportunity for marketers to actually take the lead on a lot of this stuff. Oh, quick break. Now, Georgie and I had a little rant at this stage about the issues and, you know, that competition between departments, departments creates. Know, I'd love to get rid of job titles, job right? Titles, me too. But I really want to make this a non-ranty podcast. Yeah, yeah. Job titles job are, the titles are rubbish. And we have talked about these things before. So we're going to gloss over that. It's just bullshit. It is bullshit. And, and let's also- not pick up that issue Let's just look at some of the causes. I wonder whether the whole tech thing has almost created this division between functions somewhat. Interesting view. So my view generally is the opposite, is that pre-technology, we needed departments because everything happened slower. A a geography mattered then, which it doesn't now. So, like, it made sense. And also, even when there was technology, back in the land days, um, look it up if you're under 30, but back in the land days, you know, you didn't have the ability to share data, to share information. Well, I suppose you could have had a WAN, look that up too. Um, But we didn't have availability of cloud systems like we do now. So it kind of made sense that sales operated in an environment on its own, that marketing operated in an environment on its own, because the systems that were, if they were there, that were underpinning the activities were discrete. There was no connectivity between them. Now there's loads of connectivity. We don't even need departments, job titles. We need none of that. And actually, the most progressive businesses are reorganising around squads rather than hierarchies. But I would say that squads are what existed years ago. Did you? Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. God. You're yeah. just poo-pooing yeah. another one of Sorry. my theories. Sorry, nice. Dom. And, and actually, I would argue the best form of communication is talking to people. We all know that so much gets lost. Yeah in teams slack etc etc and it doesn't necessarily make you faster none of it no it slows you down it slows you down and and i think there is a massive place obviously for a lot of um automation and tech but it shouldn't replace the fact that go and talk to somebody pick up the phone and talk to somebody walk down the hall as they say and actually find out what's going on um dare i say it on many 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 moons ago in the early 90s I was a smoker right my bosses always loved me because I knew what was going on in the business because you'd find out everything in the smoking room or wherever okay you'd find out what was going on in the warehouse what was going on in HR etc people spent more time together and the smoking room was where all the cool people hung out absolutely I'm not I'm not advocating no 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 disclaimer it's a filthy habit and only morons do it but I think being inquisitive, being nosy, yeah. being curious about stuff yeah. meant that actually you understood and people wanted to work together yeah. to do stuff. So, yes, the tech is there for a reason. I don't think it completely replaces actually how we operate as teams, as squads together. I don't think it does at all. I'm not even sure it supports it, if I'm honest. I think it puts barriers up at the moment. And I think more humanity, I think, is is needed. And that's at a time when we're actually seeing more computing power coming in of course and more people thinking that ai is going to be the solution to all their dreams in the way they thought the platforms was going to be the solution and we're we not, not going to talk about, about ai we're please. not going to talk about ai Thank today <laughs> I, I am a big believer and a big advocate in it for certain things we do loads of stuff about ai and other shows so i'm not going to come on to that today OMG, I so nearly dived headlong into organisational design in that part of our conversation, but we have got a whole episode on how evolutionary organisational design theory can be embraced by marketers coming up. Mmm, that sounds great. Professor Steve Morledge is going to join me in the hot seat for that. So remember to subscribe to this podcast to make sure you never miss an episode. 
Now, I'm kind of glad I didn't get sucked into that rabbit hole because our conversation so far has thrown up a few really interesting themes for further exploration in my spare time. First off, how technology and marketing can be a bit of a double-edged sword. So tech, while it's a boon for efficiency and, of course, data analysis, it can also promote a reliance on automated solutions at the expense of original thought and creativity. And there's a risk here that this boxes marketers into rigid models, stifling innovation and killing creativity. And I think that's the wrong way around. Like, tech supports us, we don't support the tech. Yet. Next up, I think that frameworks and given knowledge, God, we kind of need to think about those. Because when there's so much change around, things like benchmarking studies, frameworks and authoritative studies, they can kind of feel like sanctuary. But as Georgie highlighted in our chat, we've got to be suspicious of rigidity that fails to capture the non-linear nature of customer behavior and also, of course, market dynamics. But no one knows your business better than you. And while benchmarking studies might inform us, we should be highly skeptical of knowledge we're given by others. We also talked about the importance of integrated objectives and collaboration. And I think I'm going to make that a theme for me this year. It's so important that our marketing objectives are aligned with, connected to and measured against the broader business goals. One of the outcomes of the obsession with measurability is that the actions that create the data points they kind of become objectives in their own right. That's a perilous path for us marketers to pursue. But unless we can correlate our activity directly with success that's meaningful to the wider business, we risk making ourselves less and less relevant. And by the way, that goes for agencies too. In fact, it's especially true for agencies. Like make your work matter by measuring your input to outcomes not the outputs you create. That's a bit of a mouthful. But what I'm saying is, focus on the business outcomes, not the shiny things that you create. That neatly leads me to the last part of today's discussion. Let's head back to the studio. How do we bring back the opportunity for marketers to shine and genuinely be part of the strategy discussion in their businesses? I think heads of marketing and CMOs need to be having the conversation with the CEO now. I'm hearing it's starting to happen. Okay. We say we're customer-centric, but let's just kind of do it now. Let's really, really look at our existing customers. There's too much focus on so many companies of chasing new business the whole time. And the outrageous thing is they have no idea what's going on with their existing customers. And you'll know Dom and lots of, you know, you've had Jeffrey Moores of this world, etc. recently on the podcast, that your existing customers are, you know, they're your lifeblood, okay? Yeah. And it's it's criminal that actually um, lots of companies just don't bother talking to them. So they sign a contract and then you never hear from them until day 364 and then it's a, are you going to renew with us again? And nothing in between. They're so unloved. I actually don't even like the word customer satisfaction. I don't think that's enough just to satisfy a customer. I think you should be delighting your customer. Okay. And actually something when I uh, worked at Vodafone, they were particularly good at thinking about surprise and delight for customers. And not just consumer customers. I'm talking business customers here. And actually... 
one of the things I know uh, we did really, really well uh, within the organisation was if, if a new big customer, if a big bank was porting across to Vodafone, we had a whole team of people actually that was part of the marketing function who would pitch up there and would help with the whole porting experience and yeah. handhold every single one of those employees should they need it through the experience. And they'd be there for the first two or three weeks from the customer. So you know, the difference between satisfaction and delight in my book is experience. Yeah. And what you're talking about there is amazing experience for the bank employees. Yeah, and I think customer satisfaction is hygiene. You know, does it work? Yeah, it's table stakes. Table it's stakes, like, does it work? It's, it's nothing. And, and that's... Uh, okay, but would I really ever buy into you again? You have to delight, and yeah. you, it, it's the, it's that kind of that moment of truth. You know, it's yeah. it's the time where when you call the call center, they don't just solve the problem; they they go above and beyond. Almost, it's quite surprising. But uh, but, but not by saying, "Is there anything else I can help you with today?" No, Whoever invented no, that line needs no. to be shot. Absolutely, and also. Unfortunately, some of the metrics that call centres are on is get you off the call, AHTs, you know, et cetera. That doesn't align to do you really care and love your customers? And if you really care and love your customers, you won't care how long you're on the phone. If they want to talk to you about, you know, what they're doing that day, let them talk about it because they will love you. And I think a great brand that I'm... um, I'm sure we, we hear about a lot on the radio at the moment and a lot of advertising is Octopus Energy. Oh, yeah. I mean, people don't like energy companies. No. I've worked for an energy company. People don't like them, <laughs> certainly not at the moment. Octopus, their customers love them. Yeah. And they've capitalised on that. So the whole proposition is about how much their customers love them. They've got real customers on their radio ads yeah. talking. Yeah. It's very simple. Your service is brilliant. They're, so they're understanding their customer psychology. They really, really well. understand it. <laughs> so one of my problems with marketers is how polar most of us are. It's either this thing or it's that thing. And when it comes to existing customers versus new customers, the right approach is, of course, both. Just because you're chasing new customers doesn't mean you should ignore your existing customers. And if you go after your existing customers, it doesn't mean you don't need new, because you do. Sometimes your existing customers, you choose to lose them. That's very true. And again, when you look at sometimes the profitability of the customers from a CLV perspective, and again, that's customer lifetime value, cost to serve, etc., are they profitable? And actually, are they the right customers yep. for you, for your business? And I think you have to be brave about that. I think it's interesting about Octopus is the key to winning your new customers is your existing customers. Completely. And what they've obviously got is they understand the psychology of their market very well. And so they're just putting them on there to say, do, do the bidding for us. Yeah. And I think many B2B organisations, if they knew their existing customers better, they'd find it easier to win new. I think some of the best content ever is customer references, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. And I really advocate that with with CMOs and clients that I work with. Oh my God, please just get some more customer references. Another initiative um, that I think was at Vodafone, I've done at other companies, we were able to demonstrate through having a really, really brilliant machine that we built for a customer reference program, we we're able to say the value of that. Okay. Yeah. And actually, it wasn't that we've written so many case studies. It was the fact that we were able to match customers to talk to other prospects through the buying process to actually speak okay. to them directly. Yeah, perfect. Okay. Brilliant. So when they're at that bid stage, yeah. where things are a bit hairy and they're, mm, is it price? Yeah, yeah, you know, exactly. talk to another customer. Yeah. We're able to make that almost like matchmaking. Yeah. We're able to to say this has helped deliver this much more revenue this yeah. quarter because we've had so many more customers on the customer reference program that should be marketing driven 
I don't see that happening so much these days. There's a few, I've got a customer video, I've got this. That's a real shame because it's so powerful. I use that in M&A when we've gone out to acquire targets in my day job. Very early on, I give them exposure to, to other companies that have joined us, warts yeah. and all, because that transparency also speaks to trust. And it's the same with customers. If you're, if you're making a major bid and you say you can speak to any customer of ours that you would like, mm. then and show that you have nothing to hide, yeah. you're going to be ticking all of those behavioral boxes that need to be ticked about, oh my God, is this the right company? It's very risky. Price suddenly starts to become less important because guess what? You're laddering up your your trust scale massively. So, mm. so it sounds to me like the solution is this. CMOs do lunch very well. So CMOs basically need to take the CEO out to lunch and have a conversation about a few things. One, we need to focus more on our customers. We need to stop thinking about customer satisfaction, start thinking about delight. How about this? How about the CMO going to the CEO and saying, we need to pick some must-win battles. Yeah. That's what I want to talk to you about at lunch. Yep. What is the defining factor for us that's going to make us succeed this year? And the yeah. CMO should be driving the business strategy, the one, three, and five-year plan for the CEO. Okay, And I don't know in many corporations who is doing that today. Yeah, I know that in uh, past companies I've worked at, marketing, again, were leading that. I don't see it so much today. And I think this is where CMOs need to kind of be courageous now and say, I believe that we should be driving that or at least yeah. working with a head of strategy. Is there a show, not tell thing going on here? Like, do they need just this? You know, I always believed, you know, certainly in my entrepreneurial career, you just do stuff. You don't wait to be given permission. If you want to do something, you get on and do it. And if you're doing a good job at it, I was about to say you get noticed, but you don't because actually you've got to push yourself forward a bit. But like, if you want to take part in the strategy, discussion in a business do start it. doing it yeah just show up and do it show and drive and it. Yeah. it yeah yeah who's going to tell you off for it really yeah. quite frankly now get back to your mqls <laughs> <laughs> you've only delivered us 49 mqls we've already flushed 48 of them down the bog you need to deliver another 30 or you're fired oh my god don't i don't, I, I wouldn't uh, if i didn't hear the word mql again uh, i wouldn't be a moment too soon i'm not even i'm allowed to i know what it stands for but i'm not even sure what it means yeah <laughs> don't go there Dom no let's not go there yeah. let's not go there we said we we're going to keep it positive <laughs> okay so look I think 24 is going to be an interesting year for marketers in B2B because I think the market is going to be a little bit glassy and we've got two major elections this year although mm -hmm. did you know this year there are more elections around the world than in almost any other year ever really there's and how do you know how do you know there's a wikipedia that? page here. so have well, you have you believed something that you've read uh, no 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 online? so I, I've actually I have actually researched it <laughs> Using AI, <laughs> and it was, it was probably made up. No, but I was looking at because we've both got UK and US elections this year. Mm. I mean, you know, generally markets slow when there's an election because everyone gets a little bit mm. terrified. I think we know the outcome of both elections already, unfortunately. So we we may see things slowing a bit earlier. But while I was researching that and thinking, oh, where else are there other elections? So there are elections in North Macedonia this year. Really? Yep. And how is um, that going to impact so marketing, do you think? When I, it won't impact marketing, it'll impact <laughs> me in my day job because we have a unit there. But at the same time, there are elections all around the world this year in all sorts of countries. And how that affects marketing is there's nothing that delivers uncertainty more than an election. Because it's change. And also, it's one of the four pillars of your external analysis of, of your pest. And, yeah. and, and it's all change. So, in fact, in this country, it, maybe it's not change because everyone's a sort of slightly different flavour of the other. So maybe we should trade through. Against that rather long sort of pseudo ranty, but very waffly backdrop, being positive, where's the opportunity for CMOs in the year ahead? 
put their brave pants on, Ooh. be courageous. Yep. And like you said, you know, just do it. At the end of the day, a lot of companies, I see CMOs who are just feeling so drained by the environment yeah. and the unrealistic expectations that are there. And it's frustrating for them because they know the kind of the right thing to do. And I think it's about forming that closer relationship with the CEO to say, here's what I, I'm going to drive forward now with my must-win battle, which yeah. is we're going to delight our customers. We're going to drive our customers to towards here. Um, this is how we're going to do it. This is what the impact is going to be. And it's about having a different conversation about increasing revenue for the business yeah. and leading that conversation rather than being told. That's a big one. Lead it. Why not? Don't wait. So <laughs> I, my advice would be this. Take a week off. Why take the week take off? Take a week off, get some rest, mm. sleep a lot, get your head really, really well sorted, then come back and be a dynamo. And listen to some unicorny Obviously episodes whilst you're off. <laughs> well, apparently, I heard the other day that all the best CMOs in the world listen to unicorny. I'm sure that's very true. I know. So there you go. Georgie, thank you so much for coming to see us. As always, it's been really good fun to hang out. And uh, I'm sure we'll see you again here soon. Thanks, Dom. Well, there you have it. The wonderful Georgie Gilmore, full of fun and smart stuff too. And we started today looking for a blueprint for the future of marketing leadership. And we found the stuff you might expect. Strategic insight, customer obsession, the courage to innovate. As marketing leaders, our mission extends beyond the traditional boundaries of marketing. Our voice must be heard in strategy because it's our insight that helps shape the strategic direction of our businesses. And that was the core of our discussion today for me. And my must-win battle on this podcast this year is to ensure that each and every marketing leader sits down and engages in strategic discussions with CEOs and senior executives. Now, I like the part of our chat when we discuss the shift from customer satisfaction to customer delight. And I know the whole exceed expectation things, it's a bit cheesy, but it's so important. Those in our industry who are actively engaged in customer experience design probably have a lot to say about this. Now, if that's you and you want to share and you want to come on the podcast and talk about CX, get in touch. You know, one of the things I'm loving about the Unicorny Project is the people I get to meet. Georgie is a great example. Oh, she's such fun, but she really knows her onions too. Now, look, I hope you enjoyed today's show. Only a short wrap up today because I don't think we needed much. If you enjoyed it, please refer a friend. That's all we have time for today. I am now off to the bunker to write down my own must-win battles for the year. See ya! You've been listening to Unicorny, the antidote to post-rationalised business books. I'm your host, Dom Hawes. Nicola Fairley is the series producer. Laura Taylor McAllister is the production assistant. Pete Allen is the editor. And Ornella Weston and me... Dom Hawes are your writers. Unicorny is a Selby Anderson production. This episode is sponsored by Selby Anderson, the agency group that helps businesses operating in complex markets win the future. Selby Anderson's agencies serve global clients in financial services, enterprise tech, channel, industry, utilities, pharmaceutical and biotech. If you want to win the future, find out more at selvianderson.com.